Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found on our app available for both Apple and Android phones. Search Grace Church 417 in your app store and follow along. And now for our message. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Enjoying the fall day outside? That is uh, pretty interesting. Missouri weather. Uh, it's always changing. Let's, uh, let's um, well, before we go any further, let me just say this. Welcome. Thank you. It's been said already this morning, but we want every one of you always to feel welcome, to know that you're wanted here, to, uh, to know that you matter. I was uh, getting to greet out front is one of my favorite jobs in the entire church. If you come early enough, and I'm out there soon enough, I'll get to see you and shake your hand out there when you come in. Um, But it's a blessing for me to be able to do that. I love to shake hands with people. This morning I had uh, a helper. I had a nine-year-old helper, and I was so thrilled that the two of us got to do all the greeting together. We were, you know, I'd be talking to someone. She would say, Pastor Tim, there's somebody coming. She kept me right on it, so I was turning around greeting the next person. But I, I just love that we want to be, and our increasingly becoming a church where there are opportunities for everybody, young people, um, teenagers, uh, children, to get involved in ministry. This is not a church where you need to be a certain age or a certain gender or a certain whatever to get involved in ministry. We want everybody to be involved in what's going on here in some way or another. So would you turn to the person next to you and say, we are really glad that you are a part of Grace, even if it's just for this morning, even if it's just for this morning. So I have a question before we go any further. How did, um, how did your homework go? How'd your homework go? Some of you have the seventh grade look. We had homework? The homework of reading the book of Ruth during the week. I hope that you took some time. I hope you carved out a whole 10 minutes of time to read through the book of Ruth. It doesn't take very long. I was telling first service, and I want to say this here as well. It's good to read the breadth of Scripture. Like, it's good to read through a reading plan where you cover, you know, Genesis to Revelation in the course of a year or two years, whatever your reading pace allows you to do. Excellent thing to do. You you can't get it all in unless you get into it all. So it's important to do that. However, there are great advantages to getting into the Word of God in one small space and going deeper and reading it over and over and over again. You can do that with a book like Ruth. You can do it with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, 7. You can do it with other places in Scripture that are particularly rich with truth. And what ends up happening if you do that, if you will give yourself to that, even in small chunks of time, what ends up happening is as you're praying for somebody, you'll end up hearing yourself praying things that are a part of that passage uh, that text that you've been putting into you without even thinking about it. Or you'll, you'll be talking to a friend or talking to a family member, and next thing you know, coming out of your mouth is something that you have sewn into your, into your heart. You've just been putting it there over and over and over again, and it starts to come out. We want to be people who are transformed by the Word of God. Amen? So we, to be transformed by the Word of God, here's this dirty little secret of church. It doesn't happen here on Sunday morning. Don't stop coming. I, I really want you to continue to come, but this isn't where you learn Scripture. This isn't where you, you are trans- changed and transformed by Scripture. It's in your own time, finding that space, riding in the car, listening to it, reading it in the morning, reading it at night. Whenever you get into the Word, that's what's going to change your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning in Jesus' name that in the same way that you came to the disciples after 
You rose from the dead. And the word says in Luke 24 that you opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Our prayer this morning is that by your Holy Spirit, you would do the exact same thing. That as we open up the word of God, we would understand what we are reading. And that understanding would cause change in our lives. Lord, we don't want to be people who, who just look at ourselves in the mirror the mirror of your word, and then walk away and forget. But rather, we want to be people who look into your word, look into that mirror, and are changed by it. We pray, Lord, this morning, we ask, Lord, this morning, by your spirit, that you would do a fresh work inside of us, in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 this morning, so if you want to turn to Ruth 2, that would be great. I'm going to give you a quick recap. Ruth 1. The beginning part of Ruth 1 is the sad part of the, of the story of Ruth. First five verses, you have Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, losing her husband. And then Naomi loses both of her sons, who are married to two women from Moab, a country called Moab. Their names are Orpah and Ruth. Next part in chapter 1, Naomi hears that the, the famine that had driven her family out of Israel and into Moab is ceased. And so she's going to go back to Israel, specifically back to Bethlehem, which becomes very important in the latter part of the book. But uh, as she's getting ready to leave town, and we talked about, I shared about this, she's telling her daughters-in-law, hey, go back and have, you know, go find a new husband, go back to your families in Moab. Uh, Orpah decides to do that. She decides to go back to her family in Moab, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And she says, I want to be with you. I want to stay with you. I, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. And where you live, that's where I'm going to live. And your God's going to be my God. And your people are going to be my people. And where you die, that's where I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried there. She's totally invested. She goes all in with Naomi. And so Naomi relents and they go back to the nation of Israel, back to the, the town of Bethlehem. When they come into town, there's kind of a big stir. Oh, Naomi's back. She's been away for at least 10 years, probably more, uh, much more than that. She's been away. She's come back, and she's brought this girl, Ruth, with her. Beginning of chapter 2, Ruth is um, going out because she needs, they have a need. Their need is food. They come back. There are two widows living together. They have no means of, of being able to care for themselves. So she's going to go out into the field, and she's going to glean, which simply means that she's going to pick up what's left over after the reaping of the harvest. She's going to take that. She's going to bundle it up. She's going to beat it out and turn it into grain that can help sustain her and her mother-in-law. While she's out doing this gleaning thing, she is seen by a man named Boaz who owns the field that she's working in, and he inquires after her. So when we get to where we're going to start here at verse 8 in chapter 2, that's what's happened all the way up until this point. Of course, Boaz is, is related to what would have been Ruth's father-in-law who died before she was on the scene. So Elimelech is Naomi's husband. He's dead. But this would be a relative of Elimelech, this man named Boaz. Now, the whole story itself from chapter 1 to chapter 4 is about loss being transformed into blessing. Ruth and Naomi go through incredible loss, and they come out on the other side at the end of chapter 4, not just blessed, but blessed. I feel like a salesman. Not just favored, but favored. With miracles, they walk through something absolutely eternally uh, transformational. We are beneficiaries today, right here, right now, because of Ruth's life. And we're going to talk about that here in a couple more weeks. So it's a really, really big deal. But the journey is from loss to blessing. And the thing that God uses to get them from that place of loss to that place of blessing is their faith and their faithfulness. 
that they trust God and that they put into action their, their faith, their trust in God, into actions of obedience. They do right things. Turn to the person next to you and just say, would you please do some right things? Just going to make sure, you're going to get a lot of that this morning. You're either going to start nodding and amen and make a noise, or you're going to do a lot of that this morning. Okay, so smile, nod, stay with me. Yeah, We're, you are, um, you're supposed to do right things. That's what Ruth does. In Ruth chapter 2, Ruth doesn't, you got to remember, we read, we read all Scripture from its entirety. But Scripture, the narratives of Scripture unfold like in real time. So when Ruth comes back to Bethlehem, she doesn't know that God has all this amazing stuff for her in chapters 3 and 4. She comes back to Bethlehem, and she's hungry. So she says, we've got to do something about this hunger thing. She just goes out, and she just starts getting busy. She finds a place to work. She begins to be occupied in being useful and helpful, which is what we're supposed to do. When you, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know what to do, do something helpful for someone else. She didn't know what was coming. She's back in town. And it's like, we need to eat. I'm going to go do some work so that we can eat. That is what the Lord calls us to do. Busy about his business until he moves us from the place we are to the next place that we're going, which will be eventually a place of blessing. Amen? Amen. All right, let's look at it. Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 8. This is a longer section of scripture. I will do my best to read clearly out of the ESV this morning. Going from 2 to 19. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how, and how you have left your father and mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12, The Lord repay you. By the way, verse 12 is underlinable. This is a great verse. Boaz says, The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Verse 14. At that time, meal, at, at, at the mealtime, if I can speak, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull some of the bundles for, um, for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up, and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave what gave her. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Verse nineteen. And her mother-in-law said to her, "Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you." So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name is Boaz. The, uh, the 
the level of detail that we get about this interaction between Ruth and Boaz is significant. There are, there are lots of passages of Scripture where you get an overview of something that's happened. You know, it's, it's a historical narrative. It's a story, and you kind of get a big picture. But, but, but conversations don't tend to be quite this in-depth in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament in particular. And this one is super detailed. So you've got this gal. She's out there doing her gleaning thing, you know. And this older gentleman who comes there, and she, he, he begins this conversation where then he speaks to her. And says, you know, you don't, need to, you don't need to go work any other place. You work right here. You work in this field. This, you'll be safe here. I've told my young man not to touch you, that there won't be any problems. You're not going to be assaulted. You're going to be safe if you work here. Work in my fields. Work with the girls that we, that we have gleaning, my servants. He said, if you get thirsty, then go over there. Go over there and get a drink. You know, we, we're not going to reproach you. You're welcome here with us. And Ruth's response is, is, is perfect, of course. She just totally humble, says that she falls down before him. She humbles herself before him. Why are you even taking notice of me? I'm not from Israel. I'm not Jewish. I'm from Moab. I'm from that other country. Did anybody do that homework last Sunday afternoon? Good. I'm glad that you didn't read that nasty chapter in Genesis 19 to find out where Moab comes from. Yeah, but she's, she's from that country, from Moab, not from Israel. Why are you even paying attention to me? And that's where the, the, it shifts back to Boaz. And he says, I know all about it. I know everything that would happen. I know how you came back with your mother-in-law and how you left your family and how you're taking good care of her and you're being loyal to her. And then he does that verse 12 thing where he says, may the Lord bless you. I'm going to read it to you. Look with verse 12 one more time. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Of course, Ruth responds a second time. She affirms his favor. She thanks him for his comfort. She thanks him for his kind words. Of course, at lunchtime, they come, she comes over and he offers her bread and says, come dip your bread in the wine. And she eats and she eats some of the, the roasted grain. Really interesting details in this story. He gives her roasted grain, and she eats some of it, but not all of it. She obviously is not me. She knows how when she's satisfied. I love that part in there. She ate till she was satisfied. Does anybody else struggle eating until they're satisfied? I can get more amens out of that statement. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, now I feel sick. I must be satisfied. You know, that's not her. She's eating, and she's like, I'm good. And then she takes the rest of it home and gives it to her mother-in-law. Such a cool little detail. But he, he gives her the roasted grain. She has the bread and wine. When she's done, she gets up and goes back to work. Now, indulge me a little bit of license here, but this is what I think Boaz does. When she gets up and goes back to work, he pulls the reapers in. All right, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to let her, because what would normally happen, the reapers would reap and then the gleaners would come in. I want you to let her get close. Where you're, where you're reaping, right where you're working, don't, don't give her a hard time if she comes all the way up to you. As a matter of fact, when you're binding the sheaves, just, just pull out a couple of extra for her. Just leave her abundance. Boaz is all about blessing Ruth. He is looking for ways to bless this gal. And so she goes home after she beats out the grain, and she has basically a little better than a half a bushel, which is a lot of grain, for this one single gal working this day. She takes it back, and her mother's like, mother-in-law's like, where did you get all of this grain? Who took care of it? Who blessed you today? And that's where she drops the, the, uh, the bomb that she's been working in Boaz's field. And we're going to see next time when we look at this text, the really juicy part of Ruth is coming up. We're going to look at that next time. But for right now, I want to stop with her telling her mother-in-law, I was working in Boaz's field. They have a really, really in-depth conversation. 
let's remind ourselves, who is Boaz? He's Elimelech's relative. He's established in the community. He's a landowner. He's presumably wealthy. And he is somewhat older than Ruth. Now, the text tells us that we know because of chapter 4 that Ruth is of childbearing age because she has a child. Later, we'll look at that later. So she's probably, scholars think that she's someplace between mid-30s to early 40s. What's not known exactly is how old Boaz is. He is a contemporary of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, who has passed away. So folks that, I was doing a little research, and folks think that he could have been 60, 65. I consulted a, a rabbinic uh, commentary that talked about these are, this is Jewish, not this wasn't coming from a, 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 a Christ following perspective, but there are some strains within that world that think that he could have been as old as 80. It'll change the way you look at chapter 3. <clears throat> He's this older guy at 80. It's not that, it's not icky, but she does uncover his older feet, you know, at one point. But this 80-year-old guy and this younger gal, let's say 40-year-old, maybe he's 65, but it's, there's, a, there's a significant gap in their ages. That is seemingly likely. Not certain, but seemingly likely. But he's got all the power. He's a male. He's got money. He's got land. He's known in the community. He's respected in the community, as you'll see in, in chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 4. Conversely, Ruth doesn't have any anchor to the community at all. She's not even from Israel. She's not Jewish. She's there simply because she accompanied uh, her mother-in-law back to her homeland. And she is there, and she has this reputation of being a faithful and loyal woman. But she's poor, and she's an outsider. And yet, Boaz wants to bless Ruth. Look what he does. Think about it for a second. He gives her permission to work in his field. He ensures that she'll be safe. He makes sure that she has something to drink. He encourages her by blessing her and speaking life over her. He generously shares his food at lunch. He arranges to have extra left for her so that she can experience more abundance in her harvesting. And Ruth responds each time. She bows down the first time and she she humbles herself before him and, and draws attention to the fact that she's not from Israel. The second time, she recognizes his kindness and his favor, his comfort to her. And each time that Boaz, it's like, a, it's like a cycle. Each time that Boaz does something gracious for Ruth, she does something gracious in response. And he does something generous in response. And she does something gracious and humble. And it just keeps going. Have you, have, have you ever, um, I'm sure you have. Have you ever been generous to another person and their response was just so humble and thankful. Like they were just, oh my goodness. I just, you, that was so, so kind of you to do whatever you did, whether you gave them something or maybe you uh, provided an opportunity for them or just included them. You know, it could be a, any number of things. But you ever done something gracious for someone and their response was just, they were over the top thankful and over the top appreciative. What does that make you want to do with that person? You're allowed to say it out loud. We're not one of those churches. What does that make you want to do with that? Get more stuff, right? I mean, when someone is gracious and kind and loving and appreciative, you're like, oh, well, I've got other stuff too. Let me give it. You know, you just want to go and go further. The opposite is also true, right? You give somebody a really good gift, you open up an opportunity, a door for them, and they're like, meh. Is that all? You know how, I, how what's your response in those circumstances? 
Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Give it back. That's probably one or that's or probably more realistic because we're all adults here and mature. It's probably more like that's the last time that's going to happen. Yeah, that person's not getting anything else. They're off the Christmas card list or whatever. Yeah, the same thing is true with the Lord. The same thing is true with the Lord. The response that he has towards us when we respond in kind to his goodness to us and we're appreciative and gracious, he wants to pour out more as well. R- write this down if you would. By remaining humble, Ruth positions herself for more favor. As, we, as, as she humbles herself and is grateful, he pours out more. Then she humbles herself and is grateful and he pours out more, just like with us. It is a cycle of blessing. It's what God likes to do. Ruth's story is, again, moving from loss to blessing. And, and, and the Lord orchestrates this entire journey for her. And, of course, please turn to the person next to you and say, of course. Of course, God's ways are beyond knowing fully. Amen? We will never fully know him. Think about this. Want to give yourself a headache? Think about this. We'll spend the rest of eternity in his presence learning about him. Every day we'll be like, wow, I never knew that. That's amazing. And then, well, there aren't really days, but you know what I'm saying. Then the next day it'll be like something new and it will go on forever because he is without full. We can never fully know him. We can never have complete knowledge of God because we're limited and he is not. Amen? That's a pretty powerful thought. He's a big deal. We're not so much a big deal. We're very loved, but we're not a big deal like he is. Isaiah 55 says that his ways are higher than our ways, just like the heavens are higher than the earth. There's a, there's a gap. We're never going to be like, oh, yeah, I know how God does everything. Baloney, that's not true. We'll never, ever get to that place. However, here's a little secret of the kingdom of God. In many ways, he's not very mysterious. He, he loves to reveal things about himself to us. He delights to show us things. He, he's, like the, um, he's like that person that, that, that would say to a child, hey, come here, let me show you how this works. Whether it's an engine or it's a, some other thing, I'm so bad with examples like that. But I mean, he's just that one that says, come here, come here. Come here. I want to say he's like the Wizard of Oz, but that guy was bad, so I don't want to use him. But it's almost like, here, let me show you what's on the other side of the curtain. I want to show that to you. You're seeking me. When you seek me, you will find me. I will show you all kinds of the great and awesome things that you know not of, right? In many ways, write this down if you would. In many ways, God's secret ways are not so secret. Of course, there's things that we're never going to get. But but he loves to show his kids how he does things. And of course, Ruth didn't know from the beginning of the story what was going to happen at the end. But the fact that Ruth would be a blessed lady is not a mystery at all because of the way that she's living her life, because of the way that she's, she's interacting with others, because of this humility, because of this gratitude. Recently, I mentioned in a service, I don't remember what week it was, how, how the kingdom of God functions on faith, fully and completely. It all hinges on faith. From first to last, like it says in Romans chapter 1, all on faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews, right? It's all about faith. And it is. But there's another strong stream that runs through the kingdom of God, runs through the realm of his authority, and that is the concept of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. It's it's an agricultural concept, and we kind of get it in the natural, I think, I think we get it in the natural better than we get it in the spiritual. Like, 
Has anybody here been, been to Nixa Hardware? Raise your hand if you've been to Nixa Hardware. Nixa Hardware is a cool place. Nixa Hardware is a step back in time. Where else can you buy beef jerky and little chicks and, uh, you know, beekeeping supplies all in one journey? I mean, it's just this amazing place. If I go into Nixa Hardware, though, and I buy a bunch of tomato seeds, and I go out in my backyard and I plant the tomato seeds, this is all assuming I know what I'm doing. So just assume that I know what I'm doing. And I plant all these tomato seeds, and I walk outside whatever number of weeks later. How long does it take to get tomatoes? few weeks? Yeah, Diana's like a long time, Tim. You can't go out next week. Yeah. Okay, whatever it is, the number of weeks I go out there and I look, would it be foolish of me to walk out there and think, where are my cantaloupes? Why aren't there any cantaloupes growing? I mean, that would be just about as dumb as you can be. Like, seriously? And here's the thing with the sowing and reaping. It's super consistent. I could take a thousand tomato seeds. I can take a million tomato seeds. What am I going to grow in my backyard? Thank you. You guys are so on it. It does not matter how many I put down. It's the wrong kind of seed. I'll only get the, seed, the harvest that's, that's connected to the seed. That's true in the physical. We totally get it. But it's also true in the spiritual with the same level of consistency. The good seeds always bring the good harvest. The bad seeds always bring a bad harvest. You can't, Jesus said, you, can't, you, don't, you don't harvest good fruit off of a bad tree. The seed indicates what the harvest is going to be. This is a kingdom principle. Think about Ruth for a second. What is Ruth sowing? From chapter 1 all the way through to the end of chapter 2, what is Ruth sowing? Faith in God. Faithfulness to Naomi. Loyalty to Naomi. Sacrifice for Naomi. Willingness to leave her home. Hard work to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. Humility before Boaz. Gratitude before Boaz. What does Ruth harvest? Cantaloupe. No. What does Ruth harvest? Love, friendship, trust of this amazing lady, Naomi. She has a good reputation in Bethlehem. She meets Boaz. He sees her. The first thing he says when he comes up, work in this field, you'll be safe. There's the water jugs. Protection, provision, permission, right off the bat. Generosity. He speaks blessing over her. He's just meeting her. He's been kind to her. He, he, he blesses her work so that it will be more abundant and fruitful. Of course, when you look at the whole story, one, two, three, four chapters, you see the story is much larger than just this piece that we're looking at. But I want to say this. If the book of Ruth ended at the end of chapter 2 and we didn't know about 3 or 4, it would still be worth our attention because she's a stunning example of someone who sows good seeds and reaps a good harvest over and over and over and over again. Ruth's life demonstrates this reality. Good seeds always produce good results. Say the word always with me. Always. Always, 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 always. Listen, you are not the exception. I am not the exception. We're not the ones that can say, yeah, I know that's what God says to do. That's the good seed, but I know better. It will never, ever work out. Only plant good seeds if you want good results. Only do it. Always works. Never works not to do it. Always works to do it. And we live in a world full of people. I'm probably getting in trouble for this, but let me just say it. We live in a world full of people that think they know better than God. And we are living in the results of that decision. Multiplied times a million every single day. Well, yeah, but I'm a smart person. 
Don't take this the wrong way. No, you're not. And no, I'm not. How, how, how well do we really do managing our own lives? Terrible. My track record is terrible at managing my own life. I am only successful in life to the degree that I choose to implement what he teaches me from his word. Period. That's why it's always good seeds result in good fruit. Always. Turn to the person next to you again and say always. So important. So, so, so important. I, I'm almost finished. I love the... Uh, I love the way that Boaz and Ruth connect. There's just such a tenderness in their connection. From the very beginning, he's, he's looking out for her. She's kind of mystified. She's in this new place, and here all this kindness is being poured out on her, and she's, and she's responding properly, and so it's really, really good. But that is the story of, of us and the Lord. We're supposed to, we're the Ruth, and he's the Boaz. That, 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 that tone, that tenderness that is in their story should be our story with the Lord. And a lot of it comes back to what are we sowing and what are we reaping? Sowing and reaping is just so very central. You could even say it this way, that our entire lives from the time that we come to Christ, or actually beforehand, from the time we come out of the womb till we go to heaven is one long protracted opportunity to sow good seed. Every single moment, every single day, all of the time, you are constantly sowing. You don't think about it, but you and I are planting seeds all the time. Think of it this way. Every word you say is, I'm not trying to be weird, okay? Turn, please just nod at me and say, we know you're not weird. <sighs> That's like 40%. That's really discouraging. Okay. <laughs> For the other 60%, whatever, this will confirm it. Every word you speak is like a seed that goes out and it produces something. Every thought you have is a seed that goes out and it produces something. Every motive you have, every action you have, every dollar you spend, every minute that you invest, all of your energy, even your attention, all of those things are seeds that are getting planted constantly, all the time. And all of those seeds will become either a healthy plant or a blighted plant. One more question, then I'll be done. Do you ever wonder about people? Yeah, me too. Do you ever wonder about Christian people? <laughs> I saw some eyebrows go up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you ever wonder about some Christian people? I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not even thinking of any particular person. Do you ever wonder about some Christian people whose lives seem to be in, an, in a constant state of turmoil? I don't mean the bump, occasional bump in the road. That's not what I mean. I mean just one thing after another. Do you ever wonder about that? There are several biblical reasons why that might be the case. But I would say this to you this morning. At the top of the list is the seed. What seeds are they planting in their lives? doesn't mean they're not Christians. doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But, but even after the cross, we have the capacity to plant bad or good seeds, right? And of course, let me just be clear. There are, of course, Job situations where someone who is a righteous person, I mean, in every imaginable way, when you read, the, when you read Job, Job did anything wrong, you know? Job was really doing everything right, as a matter of fact. And yet something still happened that didn't make any sense. That does happen. It, it, it is a real thing. It is a biblical thing. It is an accurate thing to say that something could just totally happen out of left field. It is possible based on the book of Job. It is real. But let me tell you this, friends. It is also rare. Most of the time, we're harvesting what we sowed. And when you don't like what you see on the other side in the harvest, you have to go back and look at what seeds were being put in the ground to start with. 
Most times, bad harvests come from bad seeds being planted with our thoughts, words, and actions. Most of the time. Most of the time. So, we're going to pray. Are you, um, are you happy with your harvest? I want our church to be a church full of people who are like Ruth. I want our experience to be like Ruth's. Where we are not being showy, not trying to attract attention, not doing things with wrong motives, but rather just doing the thing that's before us and doing it with a right heart. And as the Lord blesses us, our response is gratitude, our response is graciousness, our response is humility, over and over again. And the Lord just keeps doubling down blessing on top of us. And we're having these amazing harvests of righteousness. That's what I want for us. But when you look at your life personally, do you see the harvest that you want? Are you happy with it? Do you have peace? Do you have joy? I'm not, and, and this may be a new thought to you, but that has nothing to do with your circumstances. You can be a peaceful person in the midst of the storm. Look at Jesus, right? I mean, he's taking a nap on the boat in the midst of the storm. That's peace. That can happen for us. We can be a people that have joy in the midst of just horrific circumstances. There's an awful lot of yuck out in the world right now. Are you experiencing contentment? Are you experiencing abundance, maturity, healthy relationships? Are your finances honoring God? All of those things are harvests that we have to analyze to know whether we're putting the right seed in the ground or not. I want that for us. I want that for you. I want that for me. Would you stand up? We're going to pray together. The other day, um, this is a PG story. The other day, I was taking a shower because that's where you have the best conversations with the Lord, right? There's something about the shower and driving. Those are the two. I was in the shower and I was mentally irritated with somebody's behavior. Have you ever been mentally irritated with their behavior? You can smile and think, you're an idiot. Yeah. I was thinking about someone thinking, why are they doing that? Their issue was they were not submitted to authority. And they were griping and using, saying verbal, verbally things that were negative about authority. And I was in the shower and I was thinking, why are they being like that? This is bad seed. They're, they're, having, they're gonna reap a bad harvest. And I bent down to wash my feet, my own feet. I'm washing my feet in the shower and I heard the Holy Spirit say, you do the same thing. And of course, man of God that I am, I thought, no, I don't. I do not. Continued to wash myself and get ready to go to the shower. And through the end of the course of the next few minutes getting out of the shower, I thought, yes, I do. And he pointed out specifically a couple areas where I had adopted an attitude towards someone in authority that was unchristlike. And I was griping about that person. And in, in certain circles, I would, I would talk about it a little bit. And the very thing that I was judging someone else about was something that was in my own life that I needed to deal with. So I, I repented want to be better in that area because I want to only bear good fruit. I don't want to put bad seeds in my life. So would you think about your harvest for a second? I tell you that story um, because I want you to know we're all in this together. We're all walking this thing out together, but I want you to have a good harvest. So would you close your eyes and just think about yourself for just a moment. Think about the fruit that you're seeing in your life. I pray there's much good. But if there are some things that are not pleasing, that are blighted, that are bad fruit, I want us to pray about that this morning.
Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you right now, and we are so grateful for the teaching of your word, for the example of, of a person like Ruth. Just this wonderful, simple, plain, godly woman. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be a, congregationally, individuals in this family, we would be a group of people who are, who are regularly examining the fruit of our lives so as to go back and change the seed that we're sowing. Lord, give us just a, a, a heightened sense of awareness about our words, our motives, our actions, how we do things with our money and finances and with our forgiveness, whether we're giving people grace or not, Lord, our attitudes, our attention span, the energy that you give us, the time that you give us, Lord, may every one of these things be sown in such a way that good comes out of it. A harvest of righteousness, a harvest of peace, a harvest of joy. Father, I ask that we would be sensitized to it, that we would not lose track in the busyness of our lives of this very important, this very important stewardship that is over the, the sowing and reaping within our own lives. Lord, help us to see. And Lord, even as we're thinking right now about stuff that we're not, we're not in a good place, would you please forgive us? Would you please cleanse us? Lord, we don't want to grieve you. We don't want to think we know better, Lord. We instead want to agree with you and ask for your grace to cover us. May the blood of Jesus cover our sin in that area. Give us a fresh start. Lord, where there's bad seeds, Lord, throw the store of bad seeds out and give us a new bag with good seeds. May this be a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing for us, Lord. And I pray all of these things, asking for your blessing over Grace Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands before you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you go. Grace Church family and friends, may the Lord bind up your broken hearts and give you freedom from captivity. May he release you from darkness. May he comfort you, giving you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. May he give you the oil of gladness instead of mourning. May he give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So that you may be called, each one of you, each of your children, each of your grandchildren may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, visit us on the web at grace417.com or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.